Hi, I'm Jonathan, and this is the Bosnia Project podcast. The Bosnia Project is the chronicle of my life as a world traveler, youth worker, father, and husband. And today is episode three. We're going to talk a little bit about the refugee crisis in Bosnia and how it affects us as believers. The Bosnia Project is the story of how I came to live and work overseas in a country called Bosnia and Herzegovina. It's a blog. It's thebosniaproject.com. It's this podcast and our Facebook community. And it's also email updates that we send out to our supporters and followers. The Bosnia Project is a process and a product all wrapped up into one thing. And this podcast, the blog, and everything else is a way to catch all that work, write it down, record it, and preserve it so that it can be of use to someone. This is the Bosnia Project, and it will continue for a good while longer. I often say that we are building a community where people can belong, believe in God, and become the people that He has created them to be. It all starts with belonging. My personal path to where I am today began with a community that made me feel like I belong, like I had a place in their fellowship. And that eventually gave me the tools I needed to believe and become the person that I am today. And that's why I believe that belonging is an essential part of becoming a believer and seeing meaningful life change. There's lots of groups and ministries that are based on this principle. Alcoholics Anonymous, Depression Recovery, many other types of mercy ministries are effective because of the community that they create for people in need. These communities create a kind of social framework that helps lift people out of the places that they're in so that they can reform their lives. When people fall into destructive lifestyles, they often find camaraderie there. There are often lots of people who help them descend into these places where they otherwise wouldn't want to go. And when people are finally able to recover, it's often because of the help they receive from other communities. Very few ever recover in isolation. And for you and me, in a really similar way, I think the community is essential if we are serious about becoming the people that we're created to be. Any kind of small group, men's group, women's Bible study, these kind of things give us hope, they focus us, and they help us know that there are other people out there who care about us and want to help us advance. Today in Bosnia, refugees have begun to show up on our doorstep. These are people who literally don't belong anywhere. In Bosnia and Herzegovina, you have the capital city, Sarajevo, where I lived for a total of seven years, all put together. And as you go west towards the border of Croatia and the European Union, the only big city that you come through is Mostar, which is where I live now. And today, right now, I'm driving back 
from Sarajevo to Mostar. There's two small towns that you go through on the way to Mostar. I'm in that last stretch between the last small town and Mostar. It's an incredibly striking, beautiful drive, especially when the sun is out. You have a river that cuts through this mountainous area. And the road is down here on the river, so when you're driving, you're way down in a valley. And the mountains on either side of you go straight up from the road. The way that the mountains are made up, they look like sheets of rock going down diagonally into the water. It's as if the sheets are almost on a 45 degree angle with the water and like they're sliding down. Today I was in a, a meeting where in Sarajevo we talked about how to serve the refugees who have begun to show up in our country, Bosnia and Herzegovina. They say, according to the numbers that we have, that there are 6,000, maybe 6,500 refugees who have shown up this year. So through six months, that's about 1,000 people a month that have shown up. And so if you do the math, that's uh, on average between 30 and 40 people a day. Through the first couple of months of the year, it was a group here and a group there, and it slowly increased. Now, there are as many as 100 people showing up every day from countries like Iran and Iraq, Afghanistan, Turkey, Syria. These are places that no American would be able to freely travel today. But instead, these people are coming to us here in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Maybe as an update for the House of Fool, we are a bit scared about like, the, the future. Um, the six-month um, contract is running out in August. And the neighbors are complaining a lot. Like, and it, it's clear to see why. I think, like, e even if you were to run it perfectly, uh, forty kids are going to make a lot of. This is a snippet from our meeting. One of the volunteers who is working in Sarajevo, he's from the Netherlands, and he works with an organization that helps refugees all over the world. He's been in Sarajevo for several months, working with this house that they call the House of All. The house has about 20 families living in it. Uh, about half of them are Farsi-speaking families and about the other half are Arabic-speaking, which is why they call it the House of All, because it's not just one ethnicity or one uh, nationality of people living together. He's explaining how the, um, the house is a house that was owned by a local and that his organization has signed a six-month contract to rent 
and turn into a house for refugees and bring people there and settle them there temporarily. They have lots of children. The house currently has only families. There's no single men or women there. There's lots of children running around all the time. It's on a residential street on the outskirts of Sarajevo. And one of the problems with having these families here is that the children are rambunctious. They run all over the place all day long. They run through the neighbor's yards because they've come there with their parents. They're not in school. And so there's not a whole lot for the children to do. And so they're talking about things like how can the volunteers that are running the house formalize the activities for the children and make it more, more like school, more like daycare, more like kindergarten, so that the children are cared for, they're stimulated, they're learning, and they have things to do during the day. I've talked a little bit about getting involved in this issue uh, here in Bosnia as the refugees are coming to us. Some are migrating for economic reasons, uh, some for other reasons, but many of them are true refugees fleeing persecution in their home countries. And for me, as a Christian, I'm wrestling with this idea of how do I personally respond? What's the response that I ought to have uh, based on the faith that I profess? Somebody who can sum this up better than I can probably is a man named Dr. David Platt. Here he is from his YouTube channel. I want to point you this morning and specifically to one of the greatest humanitarian crises in all of history, the global refugee crisis. 60 million people. Never before in history have so many people been recorded as being displaced, put in danger, or forced from their homes. Syria alone, population of about 22, 23 million people, around half of them have either been displaced or killed. I fear that most people in our churches are paying little to no attention to this crisis. Have you ever seen someone in need and sacrificed for everything they needed without question or without hesitation? I'm guessing you have. I'm guessing almost everybody in this room has done that for someone, and that someone is ourselves. When you or I have not been well, we've done whatever it takes. We go over the top to make sure that we're cared and provided for. And so Jesus says, love strangers like that. We dare not sit back and spend all our time debating whether or not a few of them can come to us. Church of Jesus Christ, it's time for a lot of us to go to them. This God is not distant from us. He's not detached from the people we are and the pain we experience, no. 
God is present with us. He's no stranger to our suffering. He's familiar with our pain. He has not left the outcast and the oppressed alone in a world of sin and suffering. He's come to us and he has conquered for us. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has severed the root of suffering, sin itself. He died an unjust death, falsely accused as a crucified criminal, then he rose from the dead, now exalted as a conquering king. And for everyone who turns from their sin and puts their trust in him, he will save and satisfy them forever. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is the greatest news in all the world and refugees need. The global refugee crisis is not an issue uh, about which Christians can sit still or stay silent. Strong words from the president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist denomination in the United States I can remember many years ago sitting in a conference uh, where Dr. David Platt was the keynote speaker. He is certainly a great and very emotional public speaker. One thing that I think I've said before that is incredible about this is that up until now, Westerners would not have been able to travel to many of these countries, but now these people are coming to us. And all of the walls of misunderstanding and disconnection has a chance to be softened up as we finally have more opportunities to meet these people and see them face to face. Then we have to decide for ourselves, are we gonna believe what this radio or TV personality may have said, or are we gonna make up our own minds? Not disregarding the wisdom of others, but making up our own minds and, and deciding that we are independent actors capable of judging for ourselves whether someone is trustworthy, whether someone is worthy of our time, worthy of our friendship. interesting thing about that statement, worthy of our friendship, worthy of our time, is that for people like me who profess to be Christians, who profess to follow Jesus as described in Christian scriptures, Jesus told a story most people are familiar with in the United States on some level of the Good Samaritan and the, the point of the story was that as the Samaritan was helping this injured, destitute Jewish man 
It turns out that the Samaritan was his neighbor. And the message is very clear that all people are worthy of our time, worthy of our friendship, because they're made in the image of God. And whatever social, economic, or class, or ethnic things that stand in between us, it's more important that they're made in the image of God. And God tells us that all people are worthy of our concern. Refugees have started to come to Bosnia because they have nowhere else to go. They start in the Middle East and their goal is to get to a place where they can lead productive, safe lives and they're unthreatened by the conflict. So naturally, they go west. The nations to the east and the north, uh, they're not really in a position to help them. And they have their own problems. So they go west, they come to Jordan, Turkey, Lebanon, then Greece. But they want to get to Germany, they want to get to France. And once they get to these places, they'll be accepted as refugees, or they'll be able to apply for some kind of protected status. They'll be able to stay. But they get stopped at the borders of the European Union. See, once they're in, they're in. But the European Union doesn't have to let them come in. So the word refugee brings up a lot of serious political, intellectual debate. You see, if you use the word refugee, then you're saying that somebody is legitimately being oppressed and has a right to flee from their government. They're not a criminal. They're justifiably running away from the bad situation in their country. But then, from somebody else's perspective, those people aren't refugees, they're migrants, or something even worse. By using the word refugee, you would be choosing a side in this conflict, something none of us really intend to do. So as a Christian, and I think this is the question that most of us listening want to answer, how can we do what we're supposed to do without wading into this political question. We've got some questions to answer as Americans. At least, that's what the people at the Pew Research Center say. They do surveys, though, so that's, they're always saying that. Sir, would you mind answering a few questions? I never stop and answer. I guess I'm reluctant to give my opinion. There's an article on the Pew website about how people in the U.S. are turning more negative toward refugees. The picture at the top is of a girl from Bhutan sitting in a college class in the U.S. Her caption reads, Her extended family was resettled in the area, as were hundreds of other refugees from Bhutan and Nepal in recent years. After a campaign of harassment that escalated in the early 1990s, Bhutanese security forces began expelling people, first making them sign forms renouncing their claims to homes in the homeland. 
The army took all the people from their houses, a young refugee told me. As we left Bhutan, we were forced to sign the document. They snapped our photos. The man told me to smile, to show my teeth. He wanted to show that I was leaving my country willingly, happily, that I was not forced to leave. Now, only about half of Americans, 51%, say the U.S. has a responsibility to accept refugees into the country. 43% say it does not. That qualifies as a controversial issue. But what would be the best way to assist this crisis? Would it be better to resettle these people into a neighboring country where they would probably become an impoverished group again, never at home, never provided for? Which nation would be in a position to support a group of people who have no means of support? Which nation would be able to place these people into a situation where they can work, support their families, and lead meaningful, productive lives? In the United States, refugees from places like Bhutan are often settled by large faith-based charities like World Relief, which was founded in 1944 as the humanitarian arm of the National Association of evangelicals as a response to the humanitarian crisis in Europe after World War II. These are their values. The example of Jesus as we serve those who are suffering from poverty and injustice regardless of color, belief, or gender as part of God's plan to redeem, reconcile, and restore the world. We seek to follow Jesus by living holy, humble, and honest lives, individually and corporately. That's from their corporate website. There are Bhutanese people still in refugee camps, but most of them have been resettled to Western countries, and many were resettled by World Relief. And I think that's where we'd like for them to be, in the hands of a group of people seeking to live out the example of Jesus working to alleviate suffering because of a deep desire to see this world redeemed. In the Middle East, though, numbers are different. Maybe because it's such a high-profile struggle and maybe because of the stigma attached to accepting Muslim refugees. Maybe because of other factors. There are 6.1 million refugees from Syria right now. Many in the U.S. remark that these refugees should be taken in by neighboring countries. Kuwait has taken 150,000. Iraq, even as it faces the remnants of ISIS, has taken 230,000. Sudan, one of the world's poor countries, has taken 100,000 refugees from Syria. Jordan has taken 1.3 million. Lebanon has taken 2.2 million. And 3.5 million refugees have been taken in by the nation of Turkey. And as I said before, offering help has a lot of complex side effects. By accepting refugees into your country, you're saying that it's okay to call them refugees and give them refugee status. And by doing that, you're saying something about the place where they came from. You're saying it's not treating its citizens properly. But in the process, in the U.S., 
You're also giving people like World Relief the chance to have an impact and an influence on people who have been driven from their homes. You're giving people who have been impoverished, persecuted, threatened. You're giving them a chance to live a normal, productive life in a nation that can support them quite easily. So far, seven years into the Syrian conflict, 16,000 of the 6.1 million refugees from Syria have been resettled into the U.S. So back to that question I raised before, how can we do what we're supposed to do without wading into this political question? Think about the question, it's got two parts. The second part, wading into the political arena, is what always stops people from doing things. We don't want to be political, but we often don't realize that by doing nothing, we become political. We're political because we are more concerned with the outer appearance of what we're doing than with the act itself. Inaction is action. Not to act is to act. The question then ought to be, how can we do what we are supposed to do? There's no second part of the question. I'm a Christian anyway, and this is not our home, I believe. Or at least, here we do not have a lasting home. We are looking for the home that is to come. What we're supposed to do is the eternal question. Political conflicts are by nature fleeting, temporary, and short. The question that will stand the test of time is, did I do what I was meant to do, regardless of the political questions involved? So, whether you're in Atlanta, where I was over 20 years ago, or in Bosnia, where I am now, there's the question. Am I going to do what I'm meant to do? Am I going to try to serve this community? Am I going to support that person that needs my assistance? Am I going to go look for people that need my help? Am I even aware of the help that I can offer? I hope that this has given us all something to think about. Such a soul.